This time I get to say welcome back. Yes, you do. And we have a podcast name. So welcome back to Twins Talk TV, The Peripheral. We're going to do episode two today. This is Beep. You can reach me on Twitter at Beepsplain, and I am joined by... Mick, and you can reach me at Micknick1291 on the Twitters. Excellent. So we're going to jump right into this. If you heard episode one, you know how much we loved it. We love this one even more, I think. Paired together, they're like a great, almost movie. I wish that I would have watched them back to back because I just watched one and stopped because I wanted to podcast without knowing what happens in the next one. I think I'm going to go back and watch them back to back as like a movie. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's fucking epic together because they're epic alone. For sure. But definitely the last like 10 minutes of one and the first, you know, 10 minutes of two just have like this own, it's like a little microcosm of an episode within both of them. I have to say something that I've found that I've really, really enjoyed so far in the show is that since it's an Amazon Prime show and they're not limited to 44 minutes like network TV, they're allowed to let scenes breathe and like live a full life and die naturally. So like the first scene, which is the battle with the dark web squad who are there to kill them it's like really long it is really long but it's really really good yes the entire thing is gripping like i was kind of afraid (laughs) i'm sitting there at the edge holding a pillow like shut up shut up (laughs) it was a lot it was great so it starts both teams have a drone and they like spoof and copy like their video and put it on the other team's drone. So they think they're all sitting around the fire and then they go full, like crazy war scene where they're hiding behind trees, taking people out, diving on the ground and in the middle of gunfire and like aiming and shooting. And it was, it was just, it was fantastic. Okay. But what's the coolest thing they did that we have seen on one person, but didn't yet understand is they linked their haptics. Yeah. The entire squad has haptics and when their drone has a has a read on the bad guys on team bad guy they're like all right we're linking them up linking up so they put all their arms out like they're power rangers or something and link up their haptics and then they all through some sort of like eye haptic thing can see the drone footage so they can clock where all of the people are it's amazing and there was a couple times i feel like I think it was Reese who was doing it because he was the one controlling the drone. So it was like Reese threw an image to Burton almost. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. It, it was super, super cool. The tech they have in 2030, whatever, is so dope. We see a repeat, a return of my favorite character from episode one, the futuristic Roomba. Sure. So basically... Burton tells Flynn to go inside and get Mama in the basement because trouble's afoot. They go and they play war games. Not a sim this time, guys. They play war games out in the woods, which thankfully they're far enough out of town where nobody was like, why does it sound like a war zone suddenly? For some reason, I get the impression that nobody would care. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. I could see like all of those guys out just shooting tons of weapons at any given time. That's that's fair. That's fair. So Flynn rushes inside and tries to wake her mom up to get her in the basement. But Mama is asleep and she is not waking up. She is like me. The world could be coming to an end. But if I'm in a deep sleep, ain't nothing waking me up. 
So Roomba to the rescue, and that's how Flynn gets saved. Yeah, because one of the guys like splits off from his main group because the bad guys hacked back. And so a few guys were able to escape the gunfight, and one of the guys comes in the house, and Flynn is all freaking out, and she's about to get found out, but she activates her Roomba with her futuristic wristband watch thing. And the guy shoots that and then she bonks him on the head and he like falls to the floor and is like dazed, which suspension of disbelief. Sure. Sure. It's super easy to knock people out in TV shows. Like no big deal. Yeah. It's, it's quite simple. We find out though, cause like they said, you, they hacked back. So then things get really complicated until the guys realize that and they all go back to the footage and see the two disappear. But then they're like, they're on the ropes. Things are looking bad. They're low on ammo. Low on ammo. We've got the most badass motherfucker. Yes. That just rolls up and starts shooting. And it is Connor who saved the day even more than the Roomba. And he rolls up because they're like, who is that? What's going on? Somebody tell me what the fuck is happening. And he rolls up. He's like, your sister texted me that I should come by for a beer, but she didn't say anything about you having this kind of party. And he looks like he is in his element. Like he looks pleased as punch that he got to kill some fuckers he really does i think he's been waiting for that since the drug deal confrontation in the last episode he's like oh my god i actually get to kill people this is amazing so what i find interesting is that it's sharice aka hannah from bly manor who is the one that's put this hit out yes we find out before the gunfight happens, but for our sake, we'll just say we find out after because I like to believe that the last episode ended and we just continue into the fight scene. That's fair, rather than having a cold open. Yeah, no cold open necessary for this episode. Just shooting, cool. But we find out that her lackey who killed Burton's peripheral put out a hit on something. He's like, it's something called the dark web. And she's like, oh, dumbass, I know what the dark web is. Yeah, darkweb.net. We went through this. <laughs> yeah, darkweb.net. And she like asked him all these questions about, did you, like somebody took up the contract and she wanted to know, did you put up like sufficient reward? Are they serious? Are they legitimate? We don't just want this one guy dead. We want everyone who knows him dead. So if you had any doubt that she was the bad guy. <laughs> oh no, she definitely is. She's like anyone close to him. Full on scorched earth. Let's do this thing. The relationship between her and Lackey, Daniel, is extremely tenuous. And even though that's not necessarily an important relationship, I'd like to know a lot more about it. Because it is, it's very creepy. Yeah, it, there's like a weird dynamic. There's a weird power dynamic. There, And there's just a, it's just weird. And yeah. I'd like to know more. Like, I just want to see them when they greet each other at the beginning of the workday. <laughs> hey, boss. <laughs> he brings cookies and donuts. It's fine. <laughs> and she's like, so scorched earth. So scorched earth sounds great. Yeah. They have half day Fridays in the summer. It's all good. So we start to find out piece by piece a little bit more of the mythology here. So Wilf has been searching for Elita. And we first thought he was just looking for her because it's like, you know someone very close to him but he's actually been doing it on behalf of a third party yes and he found her at some point and she didn't love that no she did not 
So she was actually working for the RI or Research Institute or several other things that they decided to call it at any given point. The bad guys. Right. Because Sharice is the head of the RI. So they made that really convenient because both the big bads, the big bad building and the big bad wolf are uh, all the same. They're all tied together. So Alita asks him a question and we have to come up with some sort of answer to it. Cause she asks him about like, are you looking for me, you know, for you or for somebody else? And he basically is like both because she asks him, can self-interest and altruism coexist? What do you think? I think it like they neutralize each other out. It just, you just end up at like net zero. (laughs) I was going to kind of say the same thing because I think they do. They both exist. Can they exist at the same time? I think they, they're like weird separate sides of the same coin almost. Yeah. I, that's why I think you get like a net zero result from that because altruism means that you don't have a secondary objective, but self-interest means that you have a secondary objective. But, but even in altruism, there can be a secondary objective and that objective is to make me feel better which is in my self-interest that's true i like that they ask questions like this because you have to sit there and think and it you can talk yourself into and out of any answer i agree i agree it's a cool it's a cool debate because like you said i think that there's not necessarily a right and wrong because it's not a really clear-cut thing so any Anybody's breakdown of backing that up, why they think what, to me is is pretty fascinating. I also really appreciate in this dream or weird sim thing, I don't know, Wilf says, remember what I used to ask you all the time? Are you happy? Or something along those lines. He's like, and you always said yes. He's like, are you happy? And she doesn't answer him. Mm. Which also hints at, so maybe part of the reason that Wilf is willing to go to the lengths that he's willing to go to to find her working with this love person may exceed just a business contract and there is some sort of interpersonal something going on there. Which they hint at in the in the first episode in that opening scene where the weird little girl, barefoot girl comes up to Wilf. Yeah, so now we've got their past includes something weird about shoes <laughs> and him constantly asking Alita if she's happy. And no matter what was going around her, on around her, apparently she always says yes. But this time hers, her silence speaks volumes. I think that if you're in a relationship of any sort and you constantly have to ask, are you happy? It might not be the healthiest relationship. But that's beside the point. Poor Wilf. Poor Wilf, indeed. So Wilf looking for Alita, is doing so at the behest of Lev, who is this super rich dude. He is aware in 2100, is what it is now, of the attack on Flynn and Burton's property back in 2032. He has now built a peripheral for Flynn because the one for Burton is obviously dead. And he wants to use her to find Alita because she was the only one who's had contact with her. Yes. And Wilf 
is kind of hesitant because he's like, hey, it's five in the morning. I'm not doing anything right now. And he's like, I pay you to be a fixer. I pay you a lot of money. So get your ass out of bed and do my bidding. You got to get Flynn back into the peripheral. Right. So Ash, who, and I'll talk about this in a minute, is one of the technicals. She, first of all, has these super cool tattoos that move, which I don't even know what that's about or if there's a purpose, but I dig it. Dope as shit. Flynn also comments on it later. There you go. And she thinks to Lev that Wilf is like not the right dude for this mission because he's not willing to do what needs to be done when it comes to actually having to kill someone. And apparently Lev's got some stories up his sleeve about who Wilf may have been at one time or another because he has no question about the things that Wilf is willing to do. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I really like Ash. She has a dope-ass accent. And that's really all that I needed to know to love her. Well, yeah, and cool hair, badass tattoos. Cool hair, moving tattoos. Yeah, like there's there's no downside so far. I'm like I'm like I love her. She has an accent. She's got cool tattoos. Like what's not to love? Yeah, we know nothing about her, and yet we're definitely not at net zero on our feelings. Nope. <laughs> 100% positive as of this point. So we jump back to 2032 where Flynn is getting back into the headset to jump into a peripheral. And Burton is like, I'm so sorry that you have to do this, but we need intel. And as she goes into the peripheral, he holds her hand because he's like, I'm so sorry that you have to do this, but there are like armed assassins coming to kill us. Yeah, we kind of need to know if that's going to continue to happen. Please and thank you. And this time when Flynn wakes up in a peripheral, she wakes up alone in a room and it is inside of a Flynn peripheral. And she spends a few minutes realizing that she's in her own body of sorts and looking in the mirror and just being absolutely mesmerized by the fact that she's in the future as herself, kind of. And... I felt really good about that too. Cause I know that was the one complaint I had about the first episode, which don't get me wrong. I love Burton and I would love to see him, you know, in the show more and kind of curious who travels where at what time, but I wanted Flynn to be Flynn. And so we're getting this, which makes me happy. Yes. And as she gets accustomed to the fact that she's in her own body of sorts, Wilf walks in. And he has to give her, like, a real quick exposition download of what the fuck is happening. Yeah. This is what we learn here that's very interesting. He explains that she's not time traveling. Okay? He specifically says it's called quantum tunneling. And it's just a data transfer. So it's literally just them sending, you know, I would consider it, like, almost energy pulses of whatever your consciousness is. Just moving those back and forth. I very much picture it like DSL. <laughs> I don't know, like, like the old, like, wired internet. It, it reminds me a lot of a video game that I played recently, which I won't go super far into, but it's called Soma. And if you've ever played it, I think you get what I'm saying. But the main protagonist is from, like, 2015. And his consciousness, like, a photocopy of his consciousness gets taken and loaded into a robot in, like, 2100 or something. Yeah, and it's almost like altered carbon as well. Yeah. 
Exactly. Kind of like with their stacks. So the yeah. idea is, and, and we knew this based on the sim, but, but it's very real in the sense that it's, it's everything that they are like, whatever the brain is made out of, whatever your identity is made out of, that's what's going into this robot human composite almost. So she's having these conversations with Will. They're outside and he's trying to prove to her what was going on. And he knows that her mom's going to die in like four weeks and shows her the paper. And she's like freaked out. Cause obviously she's trying to like prove all this stuff. What guts me is that she's like, no mom has a something, some sort of brain, something. Sure. And she's like, it's not, it's not terminal. It just, it just makes her really uncomfortable. And he's like, here's the paper that shows that she dies in four weeks. Right. And Flynn is like, no, 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 no. Because my mom would have told me if she was dying. <laughs> yeah. Cause moms always do that. So Wilf goes ahead and just calls in a prescription 70 years ago. <laughs> yeah. He calls in a prescription 70 years into the past for a drug that he claims treats whatever the brain thing is like a weed and we'll get rid of it and save her mom. She goes to pick this up. And I don't know if you noticed, but the place is called Pharma John. Yes. And, I, and I'm like, is this supposed to be like Farmer John? Like, what is happening? I, I have a lot of questions that are completely irrelevant, but I got stuck on that for quite a while. So he's like, I get that this is lots taken, but don't take too long because like shit's about to go down. You're kind of on a clock. So she leaves the peripheral and comes back to reality in 2032. And Burton's like, what's going on? Like, what did they tell you? And she's like, I will tell you later. I got to go do something. So she heads to Pharma John to pick up this mystery medicine without question. And it's all paid for because she tells Will, she's like, we can't afford Pharma John. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, don't worry. It'll be taken care of. Oh my gosh. She doesn't have to go to a drug dealer. Isn't that cool? So there is a pharmacy. <laughs> They're just too poor. It. <laughs> that actually talks that that answers a lot of a lot of questions I had previously. I love that he tells her you can't go by yourself, and she's like, "Fine, so send someone after me." Like, and she still <laughs> just goes. It's amazing. Or is that later? I don't even know. I still love it. No, that was that was then because I think I believe after that they cut to her arriving at Pharma John with Connor. Mm-hmm. So he called Connor and was like, Connor, can you please escort my sister because she's being a dumbass? <laughs> Connor, like, obviously is, like, very, very, like, he likes Flynn a lot. Like, they're adorable. They really are. They have a super cool relationship. I like in this that, so Flynn starts seeing, she's looking in a mirror and she starts seeing both of herself, which just brings me even more of these questions about, you know, you're doing this transfer back and forth. What's happening? Like, is there some sort of residue that's occurring? Is she losing part of herself rather than apparently gaining? Are her selves almost like splitting? I, I, I love the visuals of that where she just kept switching into like what she was actually looking at right then back to seeing the peripheral. And she has this smile on her face. like, And I just like, I'm wondering what she's thinking. Well, I think that also plays into the theory that you were talking about in our last episode about Flynn getting lost in a sim. And that's why she's so adamant about not going into Sims. She's like, this is the only world that I got. Well, now 
she's finding out that that's not necessarily true if everything that she's been told is in fact the truth. Ooh, that's a really good point. So it's like if she has to go back into this and she actually has the opportunity to have a different world. She can. Her eyes just got opened. Yeah, exactly. So I think it. Pl- I think part of that plays into the psyche of Flynn with regards to what you were talking about last episode. That's at least where my mind went. I'm like, oh, she's getting a taste for it. But this time it's actually real. It's not a pure sim. No, that makes perfect sense. Because then it's like she doesn't have to to give herself permission to do it or fight herself about not doing it. It's like, no, I mean, I guess I have to. So what happens next though, is, is a really good scene. It's between Flynn and her mom. Flynn has this drug. She fills up a syringe with, with this no name magic cure. And she's sitting there contemplating hardcore. If she's going to just inject her mom with something, but there is, a question she needs to ask and she doesn't even have to ask it because as soon as she, she broaches the topic in the voice that she does, her mom's like, Oh, who told you that I was going to die? And she's like, mom, you didn't tell me and blah, blah, blah. They have a whole conversation. It's beautiful. Watch the scene. Highly recommend. But ultimately Flynn's like, I got this experimental drug and I don't know what it's going to do if it's good or bad. And her mom's like, give it to me. What? It's going to kill me faster. Who cares? Yeah. Right. He said I had six weeks max. And she's like, actually, you have four. It's actually four. But <laughs> I mean, I guess he's kind of in a ballpark. Yeah, sure. Pretty close. Good doctor. Uh, what I love, and I'm point this out again, because I know I said it last episode. I love this about Flynn so far. And I'm not, I'm not sure it'll always happen. But I like that it is is establishing something about her. She talks to people. She told Billy Ann last time when she was like feeling like this was real and trying to, you know, get out of her own head. And when it comes to her mom with this, obviously she doesn't tell her the whole thing, but she just blatantly asks her, here's the information that I have. Here is the drug that I've been given. Do you want me to do this or not? She doesn't have the for my people gene where you just do something and beg for forgiveness after she actually takes their agency into account. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Love that. So then we're going to cut over to her longtime crush, Tommy. Oh, poor Tommy. (laughs) This episode. Poor Tommy. I feel like as this goes on, we are going to see poor, innocent, unsuspecting Tommy getting in more and more trouble. Because dude ain't dumb. No. And that's going to cause him a lot of problems at some point. No, it'd be great if you were just like the Barney Fife of their town. Mm-hmm. So we see him driving along the road, listening to some music, and he stops and drives backwards a bit, goes in reverse, and looks because there is a coffee cup from the gas station just floating in midair. Just chilling. Hanging out, as as it were. Yeah, he walks over and is very confused by it, so he knocks it over, and the cup tumbles down the side of some sort of solid object that's completely invisible. And he feels around and realizes it's a car. And he finds the door handle, opens the door, and TV Magic instinctively goes for the button that turns off the cloaking technology. Yes, I noticed that too. I was like, well, at least he knows where the button is. Let's go ahead and get this over with. So he clicks the button and the car becomes visible. But then he closes the door and the car becomes invisible. 
And he is just so goddamn baffled. As I think anyone would be. Truth. Yeah, I mean, the show is trying to make it seem like he's like some country bumpkin, like Barney Fife officer being confused by this. But like, in reality, if you found a car that was invisible, (laughs) you'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. You might even go home and like take a nap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty insane. Or check your medication or just kind of see what's going on in general. So here are things, though, Tommy, that we do not do alone in the middle of the woods. (laughs) We do not open these cars and start digging through them. No. Because, I don't know, people might walk up behind you or then if you put your head in their futuristic car, maybe they like have your picture now or your identity. I don't know. We just don't do this, okay? But... It obviously raises a lot of hairs on his back. And even later in the episode, he is going to Burton, kind of following the tracks, if you will, of his little investigation. And they do not need Captain Cop running around at the Fisher property right now. No, because they got a big old pile of dead bodies that they, one, they're like, should we burn them? Should we bury them? Should we go to the cops? And they leave it up to Flynn to decide. What What did you think about that? I thought that it was odd because you don't typically see that type of respect for a female character in a TV show. I agree. And I clocked it. But I also was kind of wondering why he did it. Because in the sense of the unit and what's going on with the fight and whatever, I mean, Burton's in charge. Yes. So I kind of was, I loved it. I loved it because I loved them and I think it's sweet and it's adorable. But I found it a little bit strange. Unless, I guess, if you just think of it in the context of should we dispose of them or should we tell the cops? I guess it's like putting in those three choices that I was like, why would it matter to her? I think what this show is trying to tell us is that this is Flynn's game. Yeah, and also though, that the two of them are a truly cohesive team. Yeah. Right? He has his unit, but he didn't give them the choice. She has, you know, Billy Ann, and they're great and whatever, but she doesn't have anything to do with this right now. So when it comes down to it, it's the two of them who are being hunted. And I like the way that he's been approaching her so that they are putting up a united front. I like that as well. And I... Feel like it would. I personally, I feel like the best option would have been to burn them. I was so confused about that, or less confused and more irritated on Burton's behalf. I'm like, because she's like, just bury them, and I'm like, seriously, that's like leaving some evidence. Like, also, this is gonna take forever. There's like twelve of them. Well, that 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 ends up being a running thread throughout the episode. (laughs) because we see at various points they've got like an excavator and they're like digging up a trench to bury these 12 people in (laughs) like tommy snooping around the property at that point and trying to make you know like oh are you mad at us because you didn't invite me to your barbecue and it's like you know we're just burying bodies out back no worries no worries well after tommy discovers the cars we get a really great flynn and burton scene where he's like, okay, you got to tell me the intel, you, you know, and she tells him there, I went to the future. And he's like, okay, what? 
I think that they're lying to you. And I think that you're falling for some shit. And she tells him that they have a drug that they got her a drug for mom that will cure her. And he's like, well, we're sure as shit not giving that to her. And Flynn's like, already did. And he's like, are you out of your mind? What the fuck? How could you do this? And he's like really upset about this. And Flynn is just kind of like, I know that mom's going to die. Mom admitted like she didn't, she doesn't say that though. She at no point is like, well, mom's dying anyway. Right. Like she lets him continue to live under the illusion that the illness that their mother has isn't terminal, which also then it opens up a door similar to what Burton did last episode where he let Flynn believe that he was stealing their mom's pills because he didn't want her to know that she was getting worse. Mm -hmm. Where if their mom does die anyway, he's going to blame her for giving her that drug. Right. Right. So they're both protecting the other from the truth while sacrificing themselves in the process. I love that connection. Gosh, I just love them. I love the two of them so much. So Flynn goes back to the future where she meets Lev, who has a pair of Tasmanian tigers because domesticated Tasmanian tigers. Yeah, yeah. Of course he calls them something else, but I just was like, so we're going like full Jurassic park now, huh? This dude's just finding species DNA and going ahead and bringing them back just for his own entertainment. Apparently Jurassic park didn't survive to 2100. So that we could watch that and talk about how terrible it, an idea it was. Yeah, so we can we can maybe learn from the fictional bad ideas of the past. So now we get all of them sitting down at a table, and here's where we get... It's a bit of an exposition dump, but it didn't bother me, because she needs that explained. It's kind of nice that it happened all at once. It's nice that it didn't happen while somebody was fighting and they're just tossing out random words. So like you said, because we have that extra time, because the episode is over an hour, like, sure, just let's sit them around the table, get them to plan, figure out what's going on, get everyone on the same page, including me. And I was happy with that. So one of the first things we learn is that technicals, of which Ash is one, are people who work to keep the connection going between the two worlds. So somehow it's not just whatever the technology is. There are people or another set of brains or some kind of, I don't know, abilities that they have that are connecting the two worlds themselves, which actually does then not beg the question, but make me start to theorize even more. We're going to have people going back and forth. Yeah, and and after the data dump, I might be getting a little bit ahead. Flynn leaves, and there's more that happens in the conversation, but on this same vein here, Flynn is very adversarial because she doesn't buy some stuff, and we'll talk about why she's adversarial and what she demands. But Lev is like, let's not push her. Let's let this hang out. And he's like, then why are we, then why did we have this meeting if we're not trying to like force this and find Alita faster? And Lev says something about, oh, well, it just gave us another connection to Flynn's world, like a better connection to that world. Mm -hmm. So there's some duplicity in Lev's game that he's playing. Yeah. I don't trust him. 
Oh, I don't trust him at all. At all. And since that, since we love Ash, I don't really get her connection to him either. It's like she's an employee, but also at the same time, an advisor. Right. Yeah, there's a there's an imbalance there that I'm not really sure how deep it goes or which way it goes all the time. So that that's a, a curious pair to look out for. But back to the data dump at the very awkward meal between Flynn and all of these people. We find out, and I thought this was really cool. So we're learning a lot this episode. We're learning we're not talking about time travel. And we also just learned how they are doing timelines. Because obviously, even though they're not traveling physically, things are being changed. So Flynn is in now what they call a stub. And that is the parallel timeline that she branched off of because she was contacted by the future. Yeah, so now we're getting into the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey-ness of it all. Mm-hmm. But there was reality. And as soon as Flynn interacted with the future, that point in time, her story diverged from the reality that the people in 2099 know. Correct. So now there's two realities. And they're saying, because obviously she's curious about it, you know, well, what happens in my life? Whatever. And they're like, well, we can't tell you because you branched off. And she's like, okay, well, what happened before, you know, it, to the other Flynn previously? And they're like really shifty about it. And he's like, oh, some of the, like, there's not great records. But then also, if we remember how Alita asked last episode, if you knew you were going to be gone in 10 years, how might you live differently? They're dancing around the fact that in 10 years, some cataclysmic event happens Boom. that completely resets what we know as humanity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's something much bigger than, I mean, Alita asked that question, but it's something much bigger than if you knew you wouldn't be here. It sounds a whole lot more like if you knew the world wouldn't be here in 10 years, how would that make you feel? <laughs> because presumably with what well, we, well, we talked about, how crazy London 2099 or 2100 is at this point, it's not reality. It's a sim of some sort. So mm-hmm. what happened to the world that resulted in humanity jumping ship and entering a computer? <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. So Will, like the best line here in this whole thing, because Lev is trying to get them off of this. It's like, oh, can we do, maybe this is a lot of information. Let's talk about something else. And they say, those are all good questions that will be answered in time. And I hope they were talking to me because. Yeah, I know, seriously. I absolutely want the answer to every one of those questions. Yeah, because we don't know. We're just guessing right now based off of the, you know, what the show has dropped in the first two episodes. But what I really appreciate, I don't know the name of the second technical, but Ash and the second technical are talking in a different language. And Wolf is like, oh, well, technicals can talk in different languages when they don't want us to hear them. And Flynn is kind of like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? And the second technical is like, oh, I was just informing Ash that there's a 57% chance of the medicine that we gave your mom actually working. And she... T- to wealth like you motherfucker yeah that was i think that's interesting 
because clearly there's an ulterior motive there. Are they trying to go ahead and start off putting a wedge between her and Wilf? Because he, he could have said that in a different way. It could have been approached directly to everybody at the table, but it was very much then kind of turned around as a bargaining tool. Yeah. And Wilf, the tension between Wilf and Ash is so thick. You could cut it with a knife. Yes, there's some history there. And also, I just looked it up because I didn't remember that gentleman's name either. But it's O-S-S-I-A-N. And I don't recall them saying it, so I'm certain I'm going to pronounce it wrong. But I'd say, what, Ossian? Something like that. Ossian? They definitely did not say that in the episode because I would have remembered them saying a cool name like that. I'm sure it was in the captions. Probably. So, either way, yeah, we'll just call him technical number two at the moment. Until they pronounce it so we can pronounce it correctly instead of butchering. Yeah, because I feel bad. So basically at this point, Flynn is done with the negotiations. She believes all this is happening, but she's just like, no. And she says, you heal my mom, I'll help you find Alita. Like, it's that simple. She's got zero fucks to give. She's like, I care about my mama. I don't give a shit about your future problems. Granted, your future problems are kind of like my future problems, but whatever. Also, she's just branched off into a new timeline. So, I mean, maybe she's not linked to them at all anymore. Who knows? She does not care about the fact that there are going to be more dark web assassins headed to her house. She does not care about any of their bullshit. What she cares about is getting her mom healthy and saving her life, which I can appreciate. And also money. (laughs) because all of this is going to take a lot of money. And because Burton is having to guard people and she's having to do this, like nobody's going to be able to make money. So they're like, oh, no worries. We got that handled. I don't know why the mechanics of this are weird to me, but the way that Burton is upset about potentially losing his vet benefits, I found a little bit strange because it sounds like the amount of money that's going to be coming in makes that slightly irrelevant yeah but but then again so so she leaves the sim and this is when tommy has found like a specialty casing in one of the cars and he's like oh i'm right by flynn and burton's house let me go ask them about this so flynn's still in the sim burton and tommy talk tommy gets all butthurt because he thinks that they're mad at him because they didn't invite him over for a party and it's like no i don't think you want to attend a burial yeah it's just the guys you know hanging out tommy is so sweet he's such a naive little baby (laughs) i wonder if there's any reason why we have not yet met his fiance or if she's just like not even remotely important to this story she's just unnamed woman who is the romantic foil for flynn's crush we don't even know what she looks like because they made two cake toppers with him that's true. She might look like like a, like a trash heap, for all we know. It is true. Maybe she's just a dumpster. We don't know. But Tommy leaves, and Flynn approaches Burton, and he's like, your future pals tell you about what's coming next? And she's like, well, they don't know, but they're going to notify us when, when they find stuff out. Oh, by the way, they're wiring a quarter million dollars over to us. And he's like, no. He's like, I can't take that money because my social security benefits are going to be canceled. And I'm like, but a quarter million. It's okay. We already found a way around that. (laughs) It's like, 
cut to the local bar where their cousin, Leon, wins the lottery that happens to be a quarter million dollars. Zing. But this does a very bad thing. Okay, so, okay, Burton gets to keep his benefits. They get the 250K. Fuck Leon. But it puts some uh, unwanted attention on them. Yeah. From one Corbell picket. Who buys them a round of probably piss water beer. Sure. And Leon's like, oh shit, that's from Corbell. Oh man. Oh no. And Flynn's like, fuck that guy. And Burton's like, both of you pick up your glass, raise your glass, and fucking like raise your glass to him and say thank you because we don't need trouble. And so F- Leon does and then presumes to run to the bathroom to vomit his brains out, I'm assuming. And then Flynn just spits in her beer and is like, fuck that noise. <laughs> As much as that was probably the dumbest thing she could do at the moment, I laughed and then I cheered because that is so badass. I was very impressed with Flynn. She spit in it. Like, was that necessary? She could have just left it sitting there, like never touched it. It was a perfectly fine piss water beer. Yeah, someone else could have had it. So I appreciate the extraness. That went into spitting in it so that nobody else could have it either. So Burton is working on a little notepad. He's putting together some lists of things because he's an organized fella. And Flynn asks him what it is. And he's like, oh, it's like a roster duty for our little squad and supplies that we're going to need. Because apparently we need that quarter million to cover the salaries of all of my friends because they're on 24-hour guard duty of our property. <laughs> and yeah, we we have... People to report to now, not report to. We have people that we're responsible for now. We got to give them jobs. Yeah, we need to. We need to give them uh, pension and benefits. <laughs> um, but Flynn's like, um, I noticed Connor's not on that list, and he's like, Connor, really? I can't fix something that's unfixable, especially in the midst of everything that we're that's going on right now. And Flynn is very much like perturbed by this and he's like what do you want to say she's like i've already said what i'm going to say and so she gets up to leave and before she leaves burton stops her and is like hey i asked reese about that sim the one where you you know you saved us all and and got the map and she's like what about it he's like the sheep you let out the sheep and you got a tractor as a reward the game gave you an empathy bonus because you cared about the sheep So it rewarded you for your empathy by giving you a tractor to use as cover. And she's like, yeah, okay, so what about it? And Burton tells her that in life there is no empathy bonus. And the reason that she wants Connor on the squad is because she feels bad for him. And she bounces back with, maybe not, but if there were an empathy bonus in life, you sure as shit wouldn't find it. And just walks away. She tells him though, and this was this was an amazing argument for a balance between logic and feeling. Because you know, he's basically saying it's the it's that old head and heart debate, right? He's basically saying, like, you're leading with your heart. Yeah, and he's like, it's because you felt bad for them. Well, the game gave you a tractor as a reward for your empathy. And I guess she then said, Well, if like you would have never known there was a tractor there. Right. So we have the existential question here of where is the balance between feelings and logic 
or following your gut versus being nothing but tactical. Yeah. And right now the two of them are very much like leaning hard toward one side or the other. So right now Burton is like all logic, all tactical and Flynn is guts and feelings all day long. So all of that stems from, but then reaches back to the fact that Flynn wants Connor to be a part of this. And so Burton, as he's been wont to do recently, does what Flynn asks. And he goes over to Connor's place to try to get him in on the mission, like the real life mission in this case. Connor is displeased because he thinks that Burton is pitying him. And that is the one thing he absolutely does not want from anybody. And I wanted to throw things at the television when he was talking about essentially the way that he was able to save them. Those guys had already seen him and they just thought so little of him as a potential threat that they didn't even attempt to harm him. And the reason that he ended up at Flynn and Burton's place was because he was wheeling his way along. He saw these guys, they clocked him and they didn't think of him as a threat. He thought they were Corbell's boys. And as he kept on going, he realized that he was fucking pissed. They didn't try to kill him because how dare you pity me enough to not be a shithead to me. And so he went on back and he was going to he was going to kill them because how dare you pity me and it just so happened that these they were actually weird commando assassin guys from the darknet yeah it was just convenient that they actually needed killing cuz that was pretty much the plan anyway he was he was out for a murder he chose violence that day he did and it was good for us <laughs> but connor has some deep seated issues Completely understandable, but heavily on display. Bro needs some therapy or to kill a bunch of people. Maybe both. Why not both? So Burton gives him, though, a full-on talking to and is basically like, I'm not pitying you. We freaking need you. But it's only if you're going to be sober. If you're going to be like this and all pitiful and passed out and looking a fool, we don't, like, don't even bother. Ooh, I love the gun thing. Yes, when Burton enters Connor's house, Connor's passed out. And before waking him up, Burton sees that there's a loaded handgun on the ground. So he disassembles it, takes the one out of the chamber, puts the gun back down on the ground, completely dissembled. And then he makes a noise to wake Connor up. Connor grabs the gun, pulls the trigger. And Burton's just like, one of these days you're going to kill somebody with that thing. Yeah, I think that was very much Burton's test. Of like, how bad is this going for this dude right now? And Connor failed said test miserably. So they get to the end of it, though. Basically, Burton's like, are you even going to remember this tomorrow? And he's like, probably not. 50-50 chance. Yeah, right. Connor basically passes back out already. And Burton writes on a piece of paper and lays it on him. Now, what I saw, or what it looked like to me, was that he wrote a big... B, and that in the top loop there was a W, and in the bottom loop there was an H. Did you see that or even look at it? 
I looked at it. It looked like some sort of symbol for their unit. I thought that might be it. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't even a B because it definitely was like triangles and not, uh, you know, not like you would normally see a loop. But of course I had to, you know, I was being nosy about it. So I was like, what did he write on there? But I agree with you, whatever it was, it was definitely like a call to arms, if you will, like get your shit straight. We need you. And they want him, he wants him to come camp over there because apparently the unit lives at, at the Fisher property now. And he, he made a comment. He said, Leon is there to offload because then Connor, you know, says, well, he was only doing that because he pities me too. And he's like, no, he's actually going to be upset if you take that away from him. And so we don't know what offloading is, but my spidey senses were tingling. Yes, it was, it was very interesting the way that like the discourse they had about offloading. And I was like, what does that mean? I need to know what that means. We'll find out eventually. So we close out the episode with Corbell in a cantina club being like a high roller and, you know, living his best life where he gets to choose from a series of girls. He's in a sim. He chooses one of these girls to flirt with and do other things presumably with. And he gets distracted by a man with a very weird looking beard. A man who does not belong in this scene. He's not part of the sim. No. And we know him as Daniel, Charisse's lackey who has decided to be a little bit more strategic about how he's going to call for this hit and goes directly to the town menace, if you will. Corbell thinks he's from like Homeland Security or he's like hacked his stuff. He's like, this is entrapment. (laughs) He's like, he's freaking the fuck out. He's like, I'm not going to kill the fishers. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like, you can't trick me. And he's like, we'll pay you a million dollars to kill them. And he's like, this is entrapment. No way. And 10 million. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Because it was nine. Remember? Oh, they're upping it for, for Corbell. And he said, we will send you a quarter of it up front for good faith. And when Corbell leaves the sim and is talking to his wife about like, well, we can't go there anymore because it's been hacked. He gets a $2.5 million transfer on his phone. And you see the wheels start turning in his evil, evil head. Yes. So then we start to see two things at the very end. We cut almost, almost to a cold end. I, actually, it's just called a cliffhanger. Flynn is starting to show neurological symptoms. In her hand. Her hand keeps like clamping shut and she can't control it. She can't control, you know, her fingers. So chalk that up to I have questions about what this is doing when you just like are passing your brain back and forth. Yeah. She's searching all of these organizations that have been giving them money or the names of like Wilf and other people, and her fingers like spasm on the mouse and she can't control them. And she has to like physically use her other hand to remove her hand from the mouse. And as she like shakes it out, she suddenly hears somebody rummaging downstairs in the house. So she messages Burton is like, get in the house right now. Like shit, code red, 
world's on fire. Somebody broke into the house. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, they're all, she's freaked out because it was like a day ago that there was a whole siege against their home. So obviously, you know, somebody has broken in. It's insane. They're still coming to kill us. Yep. But she goes downstairs and finds her mom in the kitchen pulling out a sandwich from the fridge. And she's like, Mama, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I thought I was dreaming, Flynn. And then she starts crying because guess what, motherfuckers? She can see. Mama can see. Which, here goes our cliffhanger. But what that revealed to us as an audience, besides look at this cute little family and them hugging. And Burton got to see the moment too. Is that guess what? Mama just got healed. Yep. So what that means is... They held up their end of the uh, ultimatum and Flynn's going to have to step up because she has agreed to find Alita. Yeah, she said, she said, heal my mom and I will help you find Alita. Well, guess what? Mama be healed. Yep. Time to go on the hunt. And I don't see Flynn being one of the people, like a person that would go back on her word, just like I don't think Burton would. No, I agree with that. But I also at this point think that she has absolutely no choice. Well, because what other kind of proof do you need for what you're dealing with? Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's pretty damn good evidence. Her mom can see she was supposed to die within six weeks, according to the doctors in 2032. Yeah. And instead, she's making a sandwich. (laughs) She's grabbing a sandwich from the fridge and she is happy about it. And it's so sweet that she thought that she was in a dream. I know. And because, and that's even another indication that you can tell how healed she is because she's not in pain. She's able to see. She doesn't seem to have, you know, any issues whatsoever. So obviously that is such a drastic change from the way she's been living for you know, as, certainly as long as we're aware of. And my favorite part of the episode is that as Flynn and her mom are having the scene, Burton is at the back door with Leon and they both have like their big rifles, like <laughs> trained. And Burton's face is just like, I think I believe now. Burton's face is everything in that last scene. Busting in like these big boys with their long guns. And then he just, I just feel like he turns into a little boy in that moment. But also, like you said, the dawning realization of, oh shit, no matter how much I even want to not believe this stuff anymore, I have no choice. That's pretty damn good evidence. And then we're just stuck there. <laughs> yeah, Why? They're like, they're like, ha wait a week. Yeah, which was cruel, but wait we shall. We appreciate the wait because it gives us time to podcast. Exactly. And we will appreciate it for that reason. And for that reason alone. (laughs) No, literally no other reason to appreciate it because they could have just dumped all eight episodes and we would have been happy as shit, but there would not be a podcast if they did that. Right. And then, I mean, so many people would be missing out. Okay. So if you made it this far, then you made it through episode two with us. And we will be back as soon as we can with episode three, because as we said, this is week to week and we are dying for that next one. I want it so bad. bad. Thank you for listening to Twins Talking TV about the peripheral.